Hi there, and uh, it's great to be uh, with you, um, however virtually, um, this week not with you in the building, but uh, with you from my own back garden, because we're in isolation this week, one of our boys tested positive for Covid and we're um, having a couple of weeks in isolation, but nevertheless I'm really excited um, to be carrying on our series on unity and community, and this morning, or whenever it is you're watching this, we are looking at um, the idea that unity is a fact and unity is a fight. Um, unity is a fact might um, seem a strange idea, but it's, it's one that's rooted in um, scripture. Let me, let me explain it to you. Firstly, we see, as we've already looked at in this series, that Jesus prays for um, himself when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified, the night before this defining moment in history, Jesus prays for himself, he prays for his disciples. And then he says, my prayer is not only for them alone, my disciples, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And that's the church, that is us. 2,000 years later, here we are, people who have who have received this message that has been passed through the generations and Jesus takes the time to pray for you and I whilst that night before he's crucified and his prayer is this that all of them may be one so Jesus prayer is for unity father just as you are in me and I'm in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one Jesus is praying for unity here um, for his church. He could be praying for anything. He could be praying for all sorts of stuff. He could be praying for power. He could be praying for blessing. He could be praying for safety and protection. He could be praying for all sorts of things, but he doesn't. He prays for unity, that we would be united. And it seems to me very significant that that's what he does. But here's the really interesting part. He prays that we would be united so that we might be brought to complete unity. I, so this is a journey. Unity isn't a, um, a set status. We are, we are united so that we may be brought to complete unity. We are therefore in line with the trajectory of the gospel, which sees all things restored, which sees heaven and earth restored, all things in complete unity under Christ. And we are to model that. We are to be a foretaste of that we are to be to be a witness of that we are to be to be an example of that to the world and this is why because then jesus says then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me so there are two reasons in addition to us being this witness there's been this foretaste there's been this model there's been this prophetic um act of where all things are headed where all things are united under christ Jesus says that we as the church should be united so that the world will know that Jesus was sent by God, so that the world will know that Jesus is the full revelation of what God is like. Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. Jesus is the manifestation of God in creation. Jesus is divine. And this is evidenced not by the theology so much or not by the stories although these are all obviously very important things but he says that the world will know that jesus is who he said he is jesus is the image of the invisible god jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures jesus is the the fullness of god um, expressed in human form then the world will know that you sent me 
this witness of our unity is the revelation of Jesus. And then he also says, and that God has loved them even as God has loved Jesus. So this same love that God has for the Jesus for Jesus will be evidenced to the world for them. Like the world will know that God loves them. The world will know that God isn't a God who wants to punish them, isn't a God who's after them, who's angry with them, who's disappointed with them, who's separate from them, who's disconnected from them, or whatever. No, as the world sees us united, the world will know that God loves them. I don't know if we always get that right in the church, but this call to unity is that we can model, we can be a foretaste of where all things are going, but also, as importantly as Jesus puts it, that the world will know that Jesus is who he said he is, that Jesus is the manifestation of God, and also that God loves them. This is evidence in our unity, this sociological reality, this sociological prophetic act. So this is our, the church is, is, is a physical entity, it's a spiritual entity, and it's a sociological entity. Our unity is an evidence to the world of what God is like, and who God is, and who Jesus is, and that God loves them. In Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 14 and 16 it says this for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to god through the cross by which he put to death their hostility see jesus is saying let me let me show you that um because in the in the message version because it um it illustrates it beautifully in the message version it reads this way the messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this so where we were divided now we are together where we were at odds with each other in enmity with each other now we are together both non-jewish outsiders and jewish insiders this was the context of the day um whether the jewish faith was you know god was the god of the jewish faith and then god's going no i'm bigger than that and for all people and for the gentile as well as for the jew and for the jew and for the non-jew and and this was a big problem in the early church it's, it, for these jewish believers well is this just for us or and do we do we worship with our Jewish laws and our Jewish traditions and our Jewish um, systems, etc., in our context and culture, or and do we let them worship God and do you end up with two streams? And, and Paul here is saying, no, no, no. The whole point of what Jesus did is that we are now together, both of us, non-Jewish and and Jewish. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code. So the law code which God gave to the Jews to go, this is how to learn, how to be my people. Now God's saying, no, no, we're not done with that now. We're not under the law now. Now we're under grace. Now we're united in Christ for the Jew and for the non-Jew. For the, so it's not just about those who adhere to the law and then this, these other cultures. No, this is for everybody. So, and to do that, he repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. This thing that had been given as a blessing had become a problem. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. 
the cross got us to embrace and that was the end of hostility christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders he treated us as equals and so made us equals through him we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the father the cross has torn down the division that is between us in this society that is so divided in a society that is so polarized, and it was then, and it is now, Jesus says, no, 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 this is not how you're going to be. I have taught, the cross has paid the price. It has, it has um, covered the separation. Unity is a reality. God has done it. Jesus has done it through the cross. We are united now in Christ. The divisions have been done away with. Now, our role is to bring that more and more into reality this thing which is a fact a reality a done deal jesus has done it jesus has prayed it jesus has done it so it's done we are united whether we like it or not we are united but it's also a fight because this new kingdom this new reality which jesus has declared this new sociological movement which jesus has declared this new spiritual family which Jesus has declared is also a fight. In Ephesians 4 it says this, In light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet run, on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline. Like, he doesn't want us wasting our time. He doesn't want us wandering off on our own or separating ourselves off. No, no, no. Like we, he wants us to pour ourselves into this. Mark that you do this with humility and discipline. Not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love he doesn't say i want you to do this by singing more and more worship songs or preaching more and more sermons or or reading your bible or although all those things are important um but he says the way that we do this is pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love alert at noticing differences where there's division between us and quick at mending fences putting it right you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. Don't just pretend you're together. Don't just hang around, giving the image of being together. If there's division in you, deal with it. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And that is helpful for us to remember in a time of so many denominations. We serve one God, one Master, one faith, one baptism, Father of all. We are united with our brothers across the spectrum of the expressions of our faith. One God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all. The people who you don't think God is working through, God is working through. The churches that you don't think God is working through, God is working through and is present in all. Everything you are and think 
and do is permeated with oneness. This is our calling, this unity which is a fact. We have to work at, we have to fight, we have to strive for, we have to be intentional about. And where we sense division before us, we ha between us, we have to deal with it. Where we feel a tendency in us to write people off or to write churches off or whatever. No, we have to fight with that and we have to speak blessing and we have to mend fences and we have to go further. This covenant that we talked about a few weeks ago where I will keep my side of this bargain even if you are unable to keep yours and as you are unable to keep yours I will go further and I will keep your side of the bargain too. This is what Jesus did for us. He kept God's side of the bargain and our side of the bargain all on the cross and in the resurrection. Jesus paid the price. Jesus kept the covenant. Jesus committed himself to it. And our response as followers of Jesus is to do the same. In Ephesians um, 4.3, we've just read it in the message version. The verse 3 in the NIV says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Do everything you can to keep unity right through who you are and who you gather with right throughout the church, right throughout the family. Now, I don't know if you've been able to hear Malcolm's talk from last week, but it was an excellent talk, and I'd really encourage you to um, to go back and listen to it, because um, he talked about, well, what do, we, what do we divide over? And he talked about some different things. He talked about we, we might divide over who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, i.e. on the cross, he restored all things, um, he paid the price, um, maybe persistent behaviour, but not that we get to divide over that, but we might get to um, act for the purpose of restoration. And also a divisive character. We might have to speak to a divisive character saying, you know, we've warned you, we've warned you again. We now need to not um, meet with us in this same way. And thankfully we've never had to do that. But there's a very few reasons, areas, that we are able to divide over. And actually, there's far more that when that are secondary issues, Malcolm talked about there being primary issues and secondary issues. Those those issues are primary issues, but there are a number of issues that are secondary issues that might we might want to might become really important to us, and we might feel like, oh, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. But actually, they're secondary issues. And one of the things we've talked about as a church is wanting to be um, a broad church. Wanting to create space, we believe church and what we're called to at YCC is to be this, is to create this space where we can have this breadth of views and understandings. And those things might be across, um, those things might be across a number of things. And those things might be baptism, I think Malcolm mentioned, you know, what age should people be baptised at and whether it should be full immersion or sprinkling or whatever that might be. Women in leadership, I think you mentioned, uh, whether we should have women in leadership or whether we shouldn't. Some Christians believe that that's not biblical and other Christians, and we here in YCC, very much believe um, women are called to leadership and, and we and we practice that. Um, you might think six-day creation over evolution. You might think Bible prophecy and what the Bible says about what's going to happen in the end times and, and the role of Israel within that. And people can hold very strong views about that, but it's not something we get to divide over. We can hold different views. It's interpretation of Scripture. We can read the Scriptures and we can wrestle with what it says and we can draw our conclusions, but we need to understand that that's our best understanding at that time of what we're reading, styles of worship. 
we might be something that, and often is something that can cause real, well, I prefer this style, I prefer that style, I prefer these types of songs and that type of songs, I prefer liturgy, or I prefer um, charismatic worship, or whatever that be. We don't get to divide over that stuff. Inerrancy and authority of scripture. There's lots of different ways of um, reading that. Um, and it's very possible to say that I believe the Bible is um, God-breathed and, um, and inspired by the Spirit, but understand the term of inerrancy in different ways. And we can hold different views on that. Passionately, conscientiously held, thought through, biblically based views on that. And there's room for a range, and we can learn from each other. Atonement theories, what actually happens on the cross, what is God doing in that, and Jesus doing in that, in that cross, and death and resurrection. Now, you said, but you might go, oh, yeah, but Adam, you just said before that actually a different gospel, like what Jesus has done, like that's something we can divide over. And the fact that we are saved through what Jesus did on the cross, than through his resurrection, absolutely. That that was the defining moment in history, that that was the turning point for all humanity, is a core primary issue. How we understand what that was, there are a range of theories on that. And it's something that we can work through and we can wrestle with. It's, we can try and work through to understand and we can hold it. It's entirely fine for you to hold different understandings of how God did that on the cross. Politics can be something. You know, we, I know of church in America who um, refused to endorse a few years ago now, a long time before Trump, but he refused to report, endorse a particular president and thousands of people left. Um, Same-sex marriage might be something that, you know, a bit of a hot potato at the moment, but it's not an issue we get to divide over. Style of dress, Sabbath, head coverings, tattoos, Calvinism versus progressive theology versus liberal theology versus open theism, or whatever, wherever else you are on the spectrum, alcohol or smoking or some of those behaviours. Like, these are things that we can hold different views on. These are things that we don't get to divide over, but we can create this space where we can learn from each other. We can encounter God through each other. First and foremost, we learn to love each other above any differences we might have. And we don't tolerate each other. We love each other. And then we bless each other. And we encounter God through each other. And we learn and we listen. And we learn from each other. Malcolm left us with a great quote last week that said this, the greatest heresy of all is not holding some faulty doctrine but failing to love those who are your brothers and sisters in Jesus. So why do we, why is the church riddled with so much history of division? Why, why do we struggle with this so much? If it's a fact that we are united in Christ, why is it such a fight? Why do we struggle with this so much? And the answer to that is sin. The answer to that goes back to Genesis. It's, it's like this idea of sin, and you might go, well, hold on, maybe I mean, the understanding of sin, is that something else that we can um, slightly differ over, and actually how we how we understand sin definitely can be. Um, but the words that you use for sin, and maybe this is helpful, um, in the Greek is hamartia, which means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. It comes from ha, which is a negative, and maros, together with part of a larger whole. So it means to not be together in something. Sin is to be less than together, to be to be separated, to be disconnected, to be divided over something, not to be part, to be set off from the 
place that we should be with each other. Right at the centre of this idea of sin is this idea of disconnection, division, disunity. And it's something we've talked about before when we've talked about Genesis. Before we've said, look, Genesis is, is about, you know, they, Adam and Eve eat the uh, eat, Adam and Eve eat the apple, and then they, um, and then they hide from God. There's this disconnection between them and God. There's a disunity between them and God, and then, um, and then they blame each other. Oh God, that woman that you made, well, she made me do it. And they blame each other. There's division, there's separation between them. Even and God says to the woman, your desire is going to be for him and he will rule over you. Now your relationships are going to be problematic. There's going to be disunity. There's going to be power dynamics. This isn't how it was ever intended to be. There is division within themselves. They hide themselves and they cover themselves from each other. Shame has entered in. There is disunity. There is division. There is disconnection. And even from creation. God says, you're going to have to work at this now. There's this disconnection and disunity and division and separation right in this, right at the centre of this idea of sin. The story that we are given to illustrate how sin came into the, into the piece. What exactly we're dealing with. This story that comes in involves division and disunity and disconnection right at the core. and says, this is the fundamental problem that you have. Which is really interesting, isn't it? Because over the last two, three years, a couple of years really, we've been engaging with this um, guy that we know works for, leads a big company that um, does lots of, um, he's a social scientist, and company of social scientists that work across the world, work with the Bill Gates organisation, work with governments, work with different organisations, and um, to solve global problems and understand what's going on in society. And they've been doing a little bit of work with us and the other family, because um, they see something of a, um, a model of... Um, of solution in our in what we do with the other family. Anyway, one of the things that they've said to us is all the data says that the issues that we encounter in our society and pick one, but the issues that we encounter in society all stem from disconnection. Our social scientists say that disconnection is right at the core of what's wrong in our society. Disunity. So then maybe that's why Jesus says, look people if you can get this, if you can understand this, if you can work at this and fight for this, because it's not going to be easy, strive for this with a passion, push into this with everything you've got. But as you are united in me, as you bring the unity, which is a fact, into fruition, into life, into realisation, in the immediacy, in the presence of this divided, disconnected world, it will act as a witness to the world that God is evidenced in Jesus and who he was. And God's love for mankind is evidenced in who we are and how we love each other. We are called to be united in a disconnected, disunited world as a prophetic act of who God is and how God loves us. We are called to a different unity you see the world the world kind of does unity a long time ago I was um, my first ever international football match following Manchester United and I went over to Rotterdam for the European Cup Winners Cup final back in early 90s 91 I think it was and um, we a big game against Barcelona 
um, and we went across and we had this huge party in the park beforehand and we were all singing songs like James sit down in particular every time I hear that now it reminds me of that day and then we went to the stadium about an hour and a half before the game and we sang and we sang and we sang and then the teams came out and it was a tough game but then we went ahead and Mark Hughes scored this incredible goal and we were jumping around and I can remember we were just jumping and jumping and jumping and hugging and kissing anybody who was near us big fat sweaty men and just hugging and kissing anybody just this mass of humanity and we were totally united in that moment but totally opposed to the Barcelona fans who were on the other side you know we can get really passionate about something and we can feel really united like we're part of something if we're in a, on a political movement or if we're in a social movement or if we're part of a sports team or whatever it might be but our, our unity is predicated on competition and enmity our unity is based on what well, we're against some other people. So my political guy says some stuff wrong, I'm going to excuse it, ignore it, justify it, rationalise it. But if the other guy says anything, I'm going to tear him down, I'm going to call it out, I'm going to... Are we having this call-out culture? We're called to be a calling culture. The people who welcome people from across the spectrum are unity that isn't predicated on opposition but a unity that is predicated on love and unity and seeing the beauty in everybody, seeing God in everybody, seeing potential in everybody, seeing love in everybody so in, in this call out culture we're called to be a calling culture, we're called to be beautifully diverse, not just to gather with those people who are like us whether that's race or ethnicity or nationality or gender or whatever that might be but we celebrate diversity because God is revealed in this tapestry of humanity. And so the church is, should be, needs to be, will be beautifully diverse. That's where this is all headed. The restoration of all things. And as I said, we believe in this wide tent unity where we can create this space where we can encounter each other, where we can share space with each other, where we can love each other, where we can listen to each other, learn from each other be blessed by each other and celebrate our differences we need to bring a character of vulnerability and love and grace not one of power and domination and needing to win all the time or hold ones over on the other people or hold resentment or bitterness a passionate determination towards each other while we will not settle for anything other than unity because ultimately this is about a Jesus-centered unity where Jesus is revealed through our unity. This is who we are called to be. So what do we do from here? Here's some practical steps that I want to leave you with. Firstly, don't pretend to agree. That's false unity. Don't go, you know, oh yeah, I'm sure we really agree, really. I don't, I don't want to, you know, you say that, and I say that. I'm sure we're saying the same thing. Let's not, let's not wrestle that out too much because, you know, I think um, we all think that, you know, that's important. And like, no, 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 work it out. Listen to each other. Don't avoid the issue. That's weak unity. If there's a problem, deal with it. Go and speak to them. Work it out process it through and last week someone came to see me and just went yeah I really struggled with this that you preached a few weeks ago I want to work it out 
that takes courage. That that takes maturity. That takes wisdom. That takes um, that's the unity that we need to see. I want to work this out. I want to find resolution and restoration. I want to I want to be together on this because I sense a disunity and I don't want that. Speak well of each other to the face and behind the back and in your heart, head and in your heart speak well of others don't diminish each other don't dehumanise each other don't dismiss each other speak well of each other and take a learning posture don't go into a conversation trying to justify prove, win dominate learn from each other because who you are sitting opposite is a revelation of God. It's someone who God is revealed through in a unique way. And they may be able to introduce you to aspects of Jesus that you could never encounter without them. So take a learning posture and initiate expressions and actions of unity. Be proactive. Face it. Deal with it. Love actively bless encourage speak blessing give generously live generously live a life of hospitality where you welcome people into your homes into your lives to your hearts initiate expressions and acts of unity let's be people who push who fight who contend for this unity which has been achieved through Jesus on the cross. Let's be people who reveal to the world who Jesus is and the love of God for everybody that we meet. Amen.